0: At first, it was just one sheep per day, but as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more, until... Until one day, a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Good morning. Great to be with y'all today. What a beautiful day it is. Um, In that gospel lesson that I just read, it's kind of interesting, Uh, this Sunday is frequently called... Good Shepherd Sunday, like the fourth Sunday of Easter, Good Shepherd Sunday. But it's interesting that in that gospel, Jesus says, I am two things, shepherd, but also gate. And I've never known how to preach about gate. I am the gate. What? What does that mean? Well, it's funny. When we moved to Austin, back to our Austin house that we bought in 2021, one of the, you know, out of all of our family, you know who was the happiest? We were all very happy, but the most happy was Janie, our 13-year-old Schnorky? You know why? Because she finally has a gate. She has a doggy door that allows her to go in and out, in and out, and she is so happy. But alas, I am not going to talk to you all this morning about I am the gate. I'm going to talk to you all just for a few minutes about I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And I want to start out like this. Three decades ago, three decades ago, I never could have predicted, I never could have imagined that I would marry a woman from Laos. Actually, I'd never even heard of that country circa 1995 whenever I met my wife. Uh, little, did I know, uh, for re- little did I know that for reasons connected to the Vietnam War... Laos was and is the most bombed nation in the history of the world. In fact, according to authoritative sources from 1964 to 1973, the United States dropped more than 2 million tons of cluster bombs on Laos. That is the equivalent of a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine years. That's more than all the bombs dropped in all of World War II, making Laos, yes, the most bombed nation in the history of the human race. Can you imagine the carnage? Can you imagine the, des- the, 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 the devastation and the havoc? Can you imagine uh, the trauma? which surely must plague Laotian people for generations to come. Now, why am I talking to you all this morning about a small nation in Southeast Asia and a bombing campaign, Uh, a bombing campaign conducted by the U.S. military? It has to do not with that beautiful gospel lesson that we read today from John chapter 10. It has to do with this morning's psalm. Psalm 23 Because in this psalm, on this Good Shepherd Sunday, in this psalm, we see a beautiful picture. It's the very opposite of that kind of violence and suffering. Instead of violence in this psalm, we see peace. Instead of trauma, we find healing. Instead of decimation, We experience regeneration and new growth. Question for you this morning, question for you this morning. What is Psalm 23 about? What's Psalm 23 about? You know, it's one of the most favorite psalms. 90% of the time when I go and visit someone in the hospital and I say, would you like to pray a psalm? What's your favorite psalm? What do they say? Psalm 23. It's a very familiar psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. I thought about having us read it in the King James Version, but alas, I did not. What is Psalm 23 about? It is about the journey, the journey of the Christian life. And like all journeys, this journey, Psalm 23, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. But even before we get to the beginning, the beginning, even before the beginning of this journey that is Psalm 23, we need to pause and consider the title, the title of the psalm. Did you know that many or maybe even most of the 150 psalms in the Hebrew Bible, did you know that they have titles? They do. In this case, the title of the psalm is verse 1. You could look at it with me in your bulletin if you wanted. Verse 1 is the title of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now my first question or maybe my second question for us this morning is what does that mean? What does the psalmist mean when he says I shall not want? Has the psalmist squelched all of his desires sitting in meditation like a detached buddha stripped of all work, stripped stripped of all earthly wants and needs, well, kind of. (laughs) I don't think that what's going on in the psalm is unrelated to that kind of Buddhist detachment, but what this title, this theme statement of the psalm is saying is this, because the Lord is taking care of me. Some of y'all in this room uh, are are new, new to this. You, You might even be dipping your toe into this thing called the Christian life. This is what it means. This is what the psalmist is saying. He is saying, because the Lord is taking care of me like a shepherd takes care of sheep. Guess what? There's not a thing in the world that I lack. Because I have the Lord and his presence, the psalmist is saying, I have everything. Everything, you might be asking. I kind of hope you are. Uh, What about about people who are in great suffering? What about people who are in danger or hunger or thirst? What about people who are naked? What about people who are are going through unspeakably difficult circumstances this morning uh, that that, that I hesitate even to talk about? Good question, and I'm glad you asked. We're going to come back to that in a moment, but for now, the answer is yes. Yes, if you have God, you have everything, even if you're naked and thirsty. At least that's what the psalmist thinks, and in a few minutes, we're going to see if we agree and if we think that, that, that it's true. The psalmist, a.k.a. the sheep, do you realize that the psalmist is the sheep in Psalm 23? The psalmist, a.k.a. the sheep, is saying this. Because of this good shepherd, all of my needs are met. I have everything I need. I actually think that, 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 that the Spanish of Psalm 23 captures it a little bit better. El Señor es mi pastor. Nada me falta. Nada me falta. Nothing is lacking. I am not in lack. All of my needs are met. I don't want anything that I haven't already got. Because of this good shepherd, I am totally, what? Content. See, we live in a world in which violence and trauma are the norm. Fear and exhaustion, the norm. But in this psalm, we find a different picture. Because of the shepherd, we can find true rest. We can be truly content. Now, is this just pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking? To answer this question, guess what? We have to begin the journey. Did you realize that there are certain questions in life that are unanswerable, that cannot be answered until you begin the journey? This is one of those questions. With the title of the psalm behind us, verse 1, We must begin the journey. It's time to set off on our pilgrimage. Beginning with verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Now, we need to really slow down at this point and meditate on this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Did you hear that verb, makes? At first, it seems a little weird, maybe a little uncomfortable, but I think that there's a, it's wonderful if you think about it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why makes? Why not he invites me to lie down in green pastures? Why not he encourages me to lie? Why makes? I don't know if you've read the bestseller. 2014, many of you have. The Body Keeps the Score. The subtitle of that book says it all brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. See, when I spoke of that Vietnam-era violence inflicted upon Laos, I was speaking of a trauma-inducing event. Well, guess what? In Psalm 23, this vivid picture of the Christian life, the psalmist is no stranger to trauma. The psalmist is no stranger to trauma. How do I know? Here's how. Most scholars will tell you that when David, this is one of the Psalms of David, not all of them are Psalms of David, but this is one of them. When David wrote this Psalm, he was embroiled in conflict with his son, his son whose name was Absalom, his son Absalom who rose up in defiance against David. It's all in 2 Samuel 17 where David's army is about to fight against the rebel army of Absalom, his own son. Can you imagine Can you imagine waging war against your own child who's trying to overthrow you, who's trying to usurp the throne from you? That is where David was when he wrote this psalm, likely hiding in a cave, trying to recover from this conflict. See, it's in the midst of trial. This gut-wrenching ordeal that David proclaims, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. See, it's in the midst of that that that, that the journey begins. You see, true spirituality does not begin in exuberance. True communion with God does not begin in triumph or elation. No, it begins in need. Look at David's need. Radical need, desperate need. Life with God begins in darkness, in struggle. Life with God begins in exhaustion. That's where it began with David. I'm reminded of of a quotation from a, a ministry called Mockingbird that I like a lot. The quote is this, God's office is at the end of your rope. God's office is at the end of your rope. David was at the end of his rope. And it is here at the end of his rope that he fell into the arms of the good shepherd. It's here that David is finally able to rest, to rest in lush, green pastures. And again, he was not given the option to rest. He was made to rest. Have you ever known anyone, I wonder if you've ever known anyone who when they get sick, They refuse to rest. When their immune system crashes, they just grit their teeth and keep on going. It's not good. Sometimes when I visit folks in the hospital, I look at them and I say, you have one job right now, to rest. The Lord slash life has knocked you on your back on this hospital bed so that as you lie here, you are forced to rest. It's a law of nature a principle of God's creation. We cannot live without times of rest and rejuvenation when the soil of our lives lies fallow. Sometimes I wonder if that's what was going on with the pandemic. It was as if if nature was saying, slow down, world, take a chill pill. Western capitalism, you're burning yourself out. After all, does the GDP really need to increase by 5% every fiscal year? At what cost? Are we burning ourselves out? Are we selling our souls? And how we answer that is still very much an open question, is it not? But friends, do you see how the Christian life begins? It begins in exhaustion and in trauma, which lead to a forced regimen of rest. He makes me, King David says, he makes me lie down. And then, finally, and then the journey begins. And then we are able to get moving. After our forced regimen of R&R, we feel strength in our legs. We begin to feel energy in our veins. And so we come to verse 3. He guides me. He guides me along right pathways. It is a long and winding journey, the sheep and this shepherd, And guess what? There's lots of dangers on the road. There's lots of dangers on the road. Uh, What strikes me, though, is that the gravest of these dangers, the greatest of these threats is not the wolves. It's not the wind. It was windy yesterday. It's not the wind. It's not the bandits like the bandits that we heard about in John chapter 10 today. No, no, no. Those are not the gravest threats, not those things, not... Uh, even cluster bombs, not even contagious viruses. Nope. Those dangers are very real, but you know what the greatest threat in Psalm 23 is? You know what the gravest danger is? It's something else. It's the sheep himself. It's the sheep himself, herself. The sheep is his own worst enemy. How do I know? Because of the staff. Because of the staff, your rod and your staff, verse 4, they comfort me. As I imagine this part of the psalm, I I always think about a bishop's staff. We're going to have a bishop here in about 10 days. That's going to be fun. I think of the bishop's crozier with its big hook. This is the kind of hook that's used to grab firmly, gently, to bring back that straying sheep by the neck, pulling it back to safety. Safety from getting lost Safety from doing what sheep like to do, like walk over the edge of a cliff. Safety from getting isolated and becoming vulnerable to attack. But y'all, even though there are many dangers on this journey, guess what? There's also wonderful surprises. Wonderful surprises on this journey called Psalm 23, this journey called the Christian life. On this journey, it's not as if the sheep... It's not like the sheep are nervously walking on eggshells. Oh, what about the wolf? No. No, it's not like they're full of fear. No, there are gifts to be enjoyed on this trip. Verse 5, you spread a feast before me. You spread a feast before me. My cup is running over. You anoint my head with oil, friends. That is the language of happiness, of joy, of abundance, a cornucopia of delights, a gift of fragrant oil, a goblet of wine to be enjoyed. This feast of joy and gladness, though, guess what? It's just a foretaste. It's just enough to whet your appetite. It's just a foretaste of the ultimate destination of this journey because, you see, After the beginning of this journey in turmoil, after the middle of the journey down the road, we finally come to the destination, the destination of the journey in this psalm. What is it? It's the same as the destination of the Christian life. Verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me, verse 6, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord. In the book of Genesis, it's called Bethel, the house of God. And it was at Bethel that Abraham first built an altar to God. It was Bethel, at Bethel, that Jacob dreamed of a ladder Connecting heaven and earth as, as if heaven and earth are really connected, as if they're almost the same place. Uh, you see, Bethel is the place of God's presence, it's the experience of God's presence. Bethel is the whole purpose of the Christian life, and yes, even the human life. It's why you exist to enjoy God's presence. I want to close like this. How will we get there? How will we get there with Psalm 23 ringing in our ears? How will we make it to God's house by trying really hard? By reading tons of self-help books and going to seminars, motivational seminars? No. Look at the sheep. Look at the sheep in Psalm 23. This sheep is utterly passive, utterly passive. It is the shepherd who takes all the action. The shepherd is literally the subject of every verb in the psalm, I think. I think, at least 90% of them. He's the subject of every verb. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He guides me. It doesn't say I guide myself. No, no, no. He guides me. He revives my soul. He spreads a table. He anoints my head. He comforts me. Do you see this morning? The shepherd is doing all the work. To repeat something I said in a sermon a few, uh, couple of weeks ago, don't do something, just sit there. He is the one who did and does all the work. Dear friends, he did it on the cross. He did it on the cross. It was on the cross that he became naked and thirsty. Earlier, I said that if you're naked and thirsty, but you have God, you have everything. And indeed, that's true. But think with me about the cross. Think with me about the cross. He was naked without clothing, he was thirsty without drink. It's so tempting to to want to close my sermon by saying, look at Jesus on the cross. He lacked clothing, he lacked food and water, but he had God. And so everything was okay. But is that what it says? Does it say that on the cross, Jesus lacked his basic needs, but he had God, so it all worked out? No, it does not. Yes, he lacked drink; he was thirsty. Yes, he lacked clothing; he was naked. But infinitely more than that, dear friends, he lacked God. Nada me falta. Everything faltered. A él todo lo, lo fal- faltó. He lacked everything because on the cross he lacked not only food and drink; he lacked God Himself. He was abandoned. He was abandoned. Matthew 27 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He lacked everything. He lacked God Himself. See, it was not the lack of food and clothing that crushed Jesus. It it wasn't the nails piercing through his flesh. No, it was the lack of God's presence. Was God present at the cross? Was the cross God's house? Was the cross Bethel? Strangely, terrifyingly, darkly, subversively. No, it was not. For a brief time, it was not. See, the shepherd lost God's presence so that the sheep, you and me, so that the sheep would never have to. Jesus died on that cross not to give us food and drink and clothing and large bank accounts and retirement safety. He died to give us God's presence. He died to give us God's presence, God's presence in the form of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in the form of a pure heart, God's presence in the form of open, honest relationships, God's presence in a community of believers, God's presence in the form of his sacramental body and blood on this altar. For a brief time, he was banished and evicted from God's house. Because of that, we never will be. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, says the sheep, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.